Well, church, I'm uh, really excited. We are in uh, week uh, two of our post-traumatic growth series. It's a series where we wanted to start 2021 focusing on this amazing idea that's been discovered in psychology recently, that in the worst moments of our lives, we can actually experience the greatest moments of our humanity that we can actually change and transform and grow and be renewed in ways that would not have been possible unless the trauma had happened itself. That actually that trauma, that hardship, that pain, that suffering is actually the catalyst to our greatest moments of who we are, that we don't actually get defined by that trauma, that it doesn't become the place where we settle and put our roots down, but the trauma actually meets us in a place where we can find the hope of Christ rising us out of it in such a way that we couldn't have experienced the hope of Christ in that way unless we had been in the place of that trauma to begin with. You know, the the research uh, suggests, and I spoke about this last week, that that uh, growth and that transformation happens in us in predominantly five main ways. It takes place in the idea of our appreciation for life, in our relationships with others, in new possibilities for life, in our own personal strength, and then finally, in our own spiritual transformation, our own spiritual change. And in, in this series, we're going to take a look at each one of those this week and over the next four weeks ahead, and we're going to unpack each one for you. But as I was thinking about and praying about what's the one that actually is the foundation of this series, what's the one that I think is most pertinent that we can, we can speak to right up front to help prepare you for that change in your life, for me it was new possibilities. And right here at the start of the message, I want to speak this over some of you. Some of you are primed today by the Spirit of God to be woken into new possibilities in your life. When I was praying for this series and particularly praying for this Sunday, I saw a picture for us as a church and for us individually that I want to share. I saw a picture of a red traffic light. It was just a a very clear, very bright red traffic light. And right in front of this traffic light, there was this bus. And the bus was filled with people. And the bus was stopped, of course, at the traffic light. But what was interesting in the picture was that the bus had been there for a very long time. You you could see dust on the top of the bus. You could see that it was worn out and getting a bit rusty. The the, the tires of the bus were beginning to deflate. You You could see in the picture that the red light had been there for a long period of time and the bus had been stuck in that place. And what was amazing to me in this picture is I could see the people on the bus and the people themselves looked almost like they had resigned themselves to this place. That because perhaps they'd been stuck at the red light for so long that the bus and the journey and the destination didn't matter anymore. They were stuck right there. And because they'd been stuck for so long, they had begun to be comfortable in that place. Almost as if that was the place that they were supposed to be. And they had long forgotten the destination that they were actually journeying towards. I want to just speak on this right now because I think that will resonate with some of you watching this. Because of all the stuff that had taken place in 2020. Maybe some of the personal trauma that you're actually carrying yourself. Maybe some of the hardship that you've been facing. I know many of us have lost jobs during this pandemic. We've we've actually lost family members and loved ones. Many of us have struggled with some of the hardest moments in life. And, And when we're like that, when we're in a place of trauma, it can almost feel like a red light is in front of us. A stop sign is right there and it sticks to us. 
And we become almost weighted in that place, almost like we put roots down in the place that we're stuck in. And we think that we can't go forward, we can't move on. And the idea of post-traumatic growth almost seems funny to us. It's like, how can I grow in the midst of the place that I'm stuck in? I want to speak to you right now and tell you this right up front. You were not created for the red light. Listen to this. You're going to experience red lights in your life. We're all going to experience them, and we've experienced some of those in the past 12 months. But you were not created to put roots down in the place where you're stuck. And in fact, actually, the Spirit of God is at work, I believe, in this series and in everything that we want to do through it to begin to take you from that place of being stuck and move you forward. I believe the word that sits over the vine this year is to move forward. And if you're feeling stuck today, I pray that what we're about to unpack in this message about new possibilities for you will be an encouragement and a powerful prophetic change for you to actually begin to move towards the destination that God had always planned for you. I want to inspire you about new possibilities today by sharing with you a story. It's a story that's famous to us. It's a story from scripture, the story of Simon Peter. And, and to help us to understand that story, uh, I want to actually show you something. So just come with me for a sec. Uh, I want to show you the four primary elements that are found uh, in the story of Peter's life. And these four things are a net, they're uh, a sword here, they're a fire and a sheep. Let me show you those again. Net, sword, fire, and a sheep. And those four things are what actually comes to define the person of Peter. And those four things become actually the thing that we begin to see to shape the transformation of Peter into the new possibilities that Christ had for them. So let me tell you the story of Peter's life. We first meet Peter actually on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. This is right towards the beginning of Jesus's teaching ministry. And Jesus, at this point in his life, hadn't called any of the disciples to him. And he's teaching one day right there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And in fact, the crowd around him is so large that he begins to get swamped by that crowd. And he's so hemmed in by it that he, he looks around to see how he, can, how he can kind of move away from them. And he sees that there are two fishing boats right there. And, and he calls one of the fishing boats over. And that boat belongs to a fisherman by the name of Simon. And Jesus stands in the boat and he pushes a little bit out from shore and he, in that space, can begin to teach the crowds. Now, the Simon, who's the fisherman who owns that boat, is kind of a bit overwhelmed by what's taking place. He's just been out all night fishing and him and his friends have not caught anything. And they've just come back right here at the early part of the day. They're tired. They're worn out. They've just come back. And suddenly this rabbi has gone in his boat, told him to push out from shore. And you can almost sense that there's Simon kind of sitting in the boat going like, okay, come on, buddy. You know, like, let's get this going. Let's get this done. Let's move on. Well, Jesus finishes teaching the crowds. And then he turns to Simon. And perhaps understanding the frustration that Simon's feeling, he says, hey, why don't you head out back into the heart of the lake and put your nets down one more time? Now, now Simon's an expert fisherman, and he's not been able to catch anything all night. He knows that this is just one of those days where the fish are not biting. But perhaps out of respect to the rabbi, perhaps out of the fact of the crowds that were around, Simon obeys him, goes out into the middle of the lake, and I can almost sense as he throws the nets out, he's probably thinking, look, I'll prove to you that there's no fish here. And of course, we know the story. Peter catches 
the largest amount of fish that he has ever done. I mean, it's so hard that they can't even seem to pull the nets in. And Simon suddenly realizes that this person sitting in his boat is not just some traveling speaker. He's not just some rabbi. This person is a holy man. What's taken place is a miracle of God. And so Simon falls on his knees before the rabbi. And he says, Lord, he says, go away from me for for I am a sinner. Simon realizes in the light of this miracle and in the power that was obviously of God in this person, he was ashamed of the things that were sticking in him, the things in his life, the way that he was living his life. And he said, I'm a sinner. You must leave me. And Jesus, in a moment of compassion that we'll see take place throughout the gospel stories, leans over and places his hand on Simon's shoulder. And he says this, he says, you do not need to be afraid. For from now on, you'll catch people. You're not going to be a fisher of fish. You're going to be a fisher of people. That's now your destiny. And here's Peter thinking that his life revolves around this lake. And suddenly this rabbi, this holy man of God, calls him into a new possibility. Calls him into a new time to leave his nets behind and begin to minister and walk out and and try to reach the Jewish people. Beginning to be understood that a rabbi, if a rabbi calls you and asks you to follow after him, it was one of the most precious, important things that you could hope for as a young Jewish person. And so Peter and his colleagues, they move up to the shore. They leave the boats behind. They store up the nets. They walk away from them and they start to follow Jesus. And over the next three years, they encounter some of the most unbelievable events. They see miracle after miracle. They see this one do things that they thought would never be possible before. Turning water into wine, feeding 5,000s, walking on water. And and, and Simon begins to wrestle with the idea that this is more than just a prophet, more than just a rabbi. Perhaps this one might be the long-awaited for Messiah that we were hoping would come. And, And Jesus, eventually sensing this in Simon, turns to him one day and says, who do you actually think I am? I mean, not what the crowds think I am, not what disciples think I am. Who do you personally think I am? And Simon turns to him and he says, you are the Christ of God. I mean, you are the Messiah. He names it. He sees it. And in faith, he proclaims it. And Jesus turns to him and says, okay, up until now, you've been called Simon, which in Hebrew means listener. I'm now going to call you Peter, which in the Hebrew means rock. And this new name now classifies who you are. Another new possibility for you. You are now going to be the foundation of my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. The revelation of me as a Messiah and you now, Peter, as the one that I call to found and to build my church. The Bible tells us that as soon as that proclamation of the Messiah of Christ happens, and as soon as Jesus changes his name, Jesus and the disciples begin to walk specifically towards Jerusalem. 
And you can imagine for Peter how excited he would be. He's heard the stories. He knows what's going to take place when the Messiah gets to Jerusalem. He knows it's going to be a moment of great celebration. He knows it'll be the time where the Messiah will take his throne at the the evil Greco-Roman Empire that had been so oppressing the people would be pushed back. He understood that this would be the moment where actually sin would be once and for all dealt with, that there would be literally heaven on earth. It It was a time of victory, of celebration. You can imagine how excited as they crest up that hill and they glimpse on Jerusalem for the first time and then they walk into the city and nothing is as Peter had predicted. I mean, Jesus, the conquering, victorious Messiah, doesn't do anything that that Peter thought he was going to do. He goes into the temple and he annoys everybody and pushes out uh, the people that were trading there. He, he, He begins to teach the crowd about his death. He begins to speak in ways that people are claiming he's, he's blasphemous. I mean, here's Peter thinking that they've come into the place where finally the Romans are going to be pushed aside. And it actually seems like Jesus is getting pushed aside. Rumors are beginning to be said that actually Jesus might get arrested and killed. And Peter's thinking, you cannot kill the Messiah. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Like none of this is adding up. And then one evening, They're in this upper room and they're sharing in the meal of the Passover. And it's just Jesus and his 12 closest disciples. And there's Peter right next to him. And in the meal, Jesus begins to speak of the reality that in just a few days, most of them in that room is going to deny and betray him. And they're all sitting there and they're thinking that is not going to happen. And Peter, being the kind of boisterous one he was, he kind of jumps up and he says, he says, Lord, I'm prepared to go to prison. I'm prepared to die for you. Even if everybody here fails you, I will not fail you. I mean, I am willing to even die with you. I, I will do that before I will ever disown you. And Jesus, perhaps a little bit like that time on the boat, leans over and puts his hand there on Peter's shoulders and he looks him in the eye and he says, Peter, before even this day breaks, before a rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, there is no way that is ever going to happen. I will die for you. That evening, they're out on the Mount of Olives and they're sleeping out there in the shadow of the temple. And as they're sleeping, a large army arrives, soldiers from the the servants of the high priest. And they're carrying weapons and they all wake up. And there's Peter and you can see that suddenly there's a confrontation that Rome and the Jewish authorities have come to arrest Jesus. And and Peter does what he had said he was going to do in that upper room. He, he, He finds a sword that was lying nearby and he jumps forward. And one of the servants of the high priest is right there, also armed. And Peter swipes and he cuts off the ear of the servant. And Jesus sees this and he's so overwhelmed, he jumps forward and he rebukes Peter. Not the first time he's done that, by the way. He rebukes Peter and he says, no, we will not do it this way. And he picks up the ear and he prays and he restores it on the servant's head. And then he does something Peter never would have expected. He allows himself to be arrested. No fighting, no violence. 
He actually gives himself up to the authorities and the authorities take him and bundle him up and walk him out away from the Mount of Olives. And there's Peter trying to comprehend everything. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one that we thought would change everything. And the ruling oppressive power has now arrested him and taken him away. And and almost like Peter's in this daze, in this place of shock, he follows after Jesus. He follows after the crowd that's leading Jesus away and they take him to the high priest's house in Jerusalem. And they enter into this outer large courtyard and then beyond the courtyard, a small crowd takes Jesus into the house. And Peter finds himself standing there on the outer courtyard, trying to comprehend everything that's just happened. Now, it's really early in the morning. It's super cold that night. And he sees a charcoal fire at work just in the corner of the courtyard. And Peter finds himself walking over to the fire that is surrounded by a bunch of the servants of the high priest. And just standing there trying to warm himself on this fire, Peter's trying to comprehend and work it all through in his head. And he suddenly finds himself in a place of his greatest trauma. That everything he'd hoped for, everything he thought Jesus was going to be, doesn't seem to be working out how he expected. He realized that he's just been arrested and no doubt is going to go to trial. And no doubt just a few days later is going to be executed. And Peter's standing around that fire thinking to himself, this Messiah is about to be killed in the worst way that's possible. The the Romans had actually engineered this execution, crucifixion on the cross to be the most painful thing that it could be. He's going to be crucified for a heretic. And Peter's there thinking, hang on, if they're going to do that to the Messiah, imagine what they would do to one of his little followers. Right about that moment. A servant girl who's standing around the fire looks at Peter and recognizes him. And she says to everybody else there, she says, this was one who was with him. And Peter immediately says, woman, I do not know him. Denying him the first time. The, the, the woman, the servant girl persists. No, she says, no, I can tell in your accent that you're not from here. You're a Galilean. You're part of his tribe. And again, Peter denies having ever known him. By this time, the, 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 the crowd had gathered around. The other servants were there. They could see in the firelight his face. And one of the relatives of the servant of the high priest who had had his ear cut off comes forward and recognizes that it was Peter who had done that. And again, he says, no, you are the one. You are the one who cut off the servant's ear. And Peter stands back from that moment. And he says with a loud voice, I tell you, I never knew the man. The third time that he denies him. And immediately in the distance, a rooster crows for the break of a new day. Peter immediately remembers the words that Jesus had spoken on that day in the upper room. The Bible tells us that he ran out of the courtyard and he wept bitterly. That he realized for all that fighting words he'd had in the upper room, for all that bravado, I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to die for you. There it came to the very moment where he could have actually lived up to that. And he denies even knowing his best friend. He turns his back on Jesus in a moment where perhaps Jesus needed him the most. And Jesus had never done that to him. And here's Peter weeping bitterly. The Bible tells us the word there means he was in anguish, crying out, could not 
understand what he had just done. He felt such shame and embarrassment that, that he would be so feeble in the moment when he should have stood up to be counted. He folded like a deck of cards. The inevitable takes place. The trial and then the crucifixion on the cross. And then three days after that, people start to say that this Jesus is not dead, that he's been resurrected, that he's come back from life, that he's alive. And and Peter hears this. And you can imagine how that might have felt for him. While you might have thought that that would be filled with joy, could you imagine Peter going, I don't know if I can face him. I mean, how can I stand before my best friend who I turned my back on on his darkest hour? How could I ever bring my, I mean, I'm as bad as Judas. I betrayed him. I I can't ever face him. I'm not worthy to be his disciple. I'm not worthy to be his friend. I am disqualified from everything that I ever thought would ever take place in the trauma that he's feeling, in the anguish and the shame. Peter doesn't want to ever ever put himself in the place where he might have to encounter the one that he had betrayed and denied. And it's there that I want to pick up the story. No one ever said the Bible was boring. That's not a boring story, is it? Don't ever let anyone tell you the Bible's a boring document, right? Let me pick up now the point of the story right here when Peter is overwhelmed and wondering what is next. And wondering how he could ever face Jesus. This is from John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this time by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were there together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Notice the words here. Peter in front of his friend says, I'm going to go out and fish. In other words, everything I thought was the thing that I was called into, everything thought that I was going to be, none of that I deserve anymore. Peter has gone right back to where he began. He's retreated right back to his old days, right back to the place where he was before Jesus called him. He's defaulted himself, got himself stuck right back at the very beginning, feeling that he is not worthy to do anything else other than go back out and be a fisherman. I might have left those nets behind before, but now those nets will become my life again. I don't even know how I could ever lift my head up in pride and even look Jesus in the eyes. I'm going to go out and fish. It's the only thing that I deserve to do. And guess what? Once again, he goes out on that lake. He slaves all night and he catches nothing. This is what trauma does to us. Trauma and the stress of it will always cause us to want to fall back to what we've always known rather than press on into the thing that we may have been called into. Trauma and grief will always cause us to root ourselves backwards, will always cause us to think that we don't deserve. The stress creates what's talked about in psychology as fight or flight. And we've seen Peter do both in the story. The time where he picked up that sword to fight. And then the time when he's gathered around that charcoal fire in the outer courtyard and he flees from knowing Jesus. 
And now here again, just days into the resurrection, he's fled again onto the shores of the Sea of Galilee to the place where he thinks he's the most comfortable doing what he thinks he should do because he feels he's disqualified from the thing that Jesus called him to do. I want to speak to some of you watching this right now. Because I, I get a sense, as I was praying for this message, that there's a bunch of us who are acting exactly like Peter right now. Where maybe something's taking place in your life. Maybe like Peter, you've done something that you're not happy about. Maybe you've done something that you're ashamed of. Maybe there's a sin in your life. Maybe you've hurt somebody that you're close to. Maybe you've acted in a certain way or done something and you are ashamed of it. You're embarrassed about it. And you've actually had to pay a price for it. Maybe it's hurt the loved ones around you and you're really struggling and maybe there's been some consequences for that for you. And because of those actions in the past, you feel like you are no longer qualified to do the things that you had on your heart that God had called you in to do. Maybe you've actually self-condemned yourself back to the old habits, the old ways, because you don't think you're worthy of the new. Or, or perhaps something's happened to you, maybe not by your own fault, but something outside, external to you has taken place that's caused you to feel like you're stuck, to feel like you're at that red light, to feel like this is the only place now that you deserve to be, that all the hopes and the dreams and the promises that you had are now gone for you. Perhaps that's the place where you feel like you're standing. If that's you, I want to say this. God stands over you in this moment and he says, you need to remember I am in control. You need to understand that I have not distanced myself from you. I have not left you. That the place where you are right now is not your permanent home. You are not disqualified, says the Spirit of God to you. You are not disqualified ever from the kingdom of God. Peter felt like he deserved nothing other than to go back and be a fisherman. And Jesus is about to show up and tell him, you are never disqualified from my kingdom. Never disqualified. I want you to notice this. Um, what happens next is that this figure shows up on the beach. And there's, there's Peter having done his fishing and caught nothing. And they see this figure and the figure cries out and says, hey, did you catch anything? Probably a, a common thing that was said in those days. And Peter honestly replies back, no, we caught nothing. And this one says something quite simple. He says, hey, why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? And, and Peter, perhaps going, well, pff, we tried everything else, throws his net on the other side of the boat. And once again, there is a catch that they can't even pull in. The Bible says 153 large fish, almost breaking the nets. And in that moment, everything comes back for Peter. He's taken right back to that very first moment where Jesus met him, took him out on the boat, caught that miraculous set of fish. Now here he is all that time and he sees this person and he goes, this is Jesus. I mean, the only person who can ever fill my nets like this is the son of God. And there he is. And I love this. This is so Peter. Peter, literally jumps out of the boat and begins to swim as fast as he can to get to the shore to meet with his Messiah and his friend. And I want to pick up now uh, the moment in the passage where they actually get to the shore. It's found in verse um, nine. It says this, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where they had fish, where Jesus had put fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, about 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come now and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. I want you to see what Jesus does here. Here he is on the beach 
And he's created what the scriptures say to us here as a charcoal fire. That phrase, a fire of charcoal, is only ever repeated one other time in the New Testament. Do you know when? When Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest, cold on that night, and sees a charcoal fire, and goes over and warms himself. Jesus creates the same environment for Peter and welcomes him back into the worst moment of his life. Now that might seem on the surface like a pretty harsh thing to do, but I want you to catch what Jesus is doing here. He's actually reframing the narrative of Peter's trauma in creating a charcoal fire before him and actually inviting Jesus into that space. He's taking Peter right into the place where he denied him three times. But in that moment, Jesus is now saying, let me take you back and actually reframe the narrative of your trauma. What you thought was the place of your worst moment is about to become the place of your greatest moment of humanity. I'm about to actually reframe everything you thought around the very charcoal fire where you denied me is about to become the place of your greatest redemption. I want you to know that this is very important in the idea of post-traumatic growth. We said last week that, that our growth from trauma does not take place by ignoring our trauma, by trying to walk away from it, by trying to bury it, or, or by trying to, try to kind of bury the feelings that it creates in us. Jesus doesn't try to ignore what's taking place At the same time, though, Jesus doesn't beat it over his head. Jesus gently, graciously brings him into the place of owning the reality of the moment, but not so he can feel shame, but instead so he can be redeemed, so that there can be a changing point for him. And that's what takes place in this conversation. Let me read it to you from verses 15 onwards. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Notice what takes place in that place of trauma. Three questions about whether he loves him for the three denials that took place in that courtyard. Three times where Peter is able to say out loud in that moment, I do love you. See, this is the powerful thing about Jesus. And this is the powerful pivot point for post-traumatic growth. See, Jesus is not interested in shaming Peter for his past mistakes. Instead, he wants to know what's on his heart right in that moment. Do you love me right now? Like, like Jesus is not saying that was the worst thing. He's saying, what is in your heart right in this moment? And Peter's there going, you know, I love you. I love actually what he says right at the end. He says, he says, Jesus, you know all things. This is Peter's way of saying to Jesus, you knew everything that took place in that courtyard. You know the trauma that I've been through. You know the fact that I denied you three times. You know the fact that that has torn me up inside. You know the fact that I have retreated back here to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, doing the thing that I thought I was only responsible for. You you know how terrible I feel about myself. You want to know what I think of you? I love you. I love you because I know that even in how terrible I feel, 
you're here right now reaching out to me. Peter understood that Jesus had not given up on him. And in saying those three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. Peter was prophetically standing against the enemy's rule to try to keep him locked down in the red light of his life, to keep him stuck there in the place that was his past rather than move forward in the thing that was his future. And Jesus knows that he needs to reframe the narrative of his trauma by speaking to him about his personhood, his identity. I want you to see here in this passage, it's quite a beautiful thing. Jesus refers to him as Simon, son of John. He doesn't mention Peter here. He actually goes back to his original name. He says, Simon, which means listener. And then he says, son of John. See, Jesus is actually centering Peter in his true identity. He wants him to know who he truly is. He wants him to get right to the place of his identity and say the trauma has not defined who you are. You want to know who you are? You're Simon, son of John, who I changed the name to be Peter, which means rock. You are not what your trauma says you are. You are this one right here, the one I love, the one who's sitting with me around this fire, restoring and redeeming the narrative of your trauma. You and your identity is not linked to the worst moment of your life. I need to preach this to someone right now. The sum total of who you are is not the worst moment of your life. And and Jesus is getting into the very heart of the identity for Peter. And he's saying, Peter, do you want to know who you truly are? Simon, listener. That's who you are. You listen. You've heard my word. You know who I am. You've just declared that you love me. And guess what? I am now releasing you out of a place of a restored identity into new possibilities. Note this. Every single time that Jesus speaks to him, he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Remember what took place in the very first time they met. Jesus says, oh, you don't need to be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. Now, Jesus takes it a step further. He says, your identity is not just to catch people. You're going to be the shepherd of my people. I want you to go from here and I want you to love my people with the same way that you love me in this moment. I want you to go from here out of the place of your trauma. And guess what? The fact that you felt shame, the fact that you were embarrassed, the fact that you thought you were nothing, that's the people you're about to encounter out there. And as you go and start my church, as you found my church, I don't want you to go there just simply as a fisher of people. You need to go there as a pastor. And you're going to be able to pass to my people because you felt brokenness yourself. Your trauma is the very thing that's going to be the root and the power of your ministry, Peter. This is Jesus redeeming him out of the place and saying nothing is going to be wasted. You're going to be able to go and pastor a group of people in such a powerful way that you would not have been able to do if you had not experienced the trauma in the first place. This is, this is Jesus releasing Peter to the new possibilities of his life. And Peter, from this moment, will go. And we see in church history what he does. He goes and preaches to the crowds of boldness and fire. Over 3,000 coming to Jesus in one day. He's a wounded healer. He goes and heals people in Jerusalem. Just like Jesus healed people in the shores of Galilee. He goes and starts and founds the early church. The first church in Jerusalem. And passes it for many years. He writes letters, pastoral letters to his people that explains the beauty of forgiveness and the transformation of life. Why can he do all that? Because he's been forgiven himself. 
And Jesus is releasing him to new possibilities because of the trauma that he had been through. Now is the time, Peter, for you to become the one that I had always created you to be. So, a net, a sword, a fire, and then sheep. Peter's story is also our story. The same God who met Peter is the same God that's alive in my story and your story. And I want you to know you are never distant from God. I want you to know that that red light that you feel like you're sitting in front of does not define who you are. I want you to know that as as real as trauma is, as hard as it can be, it does not shape the fullness of your identity. I believe that Jesus wants to show up at each one of our beaches. He wants to show up at your beach right now. After you have struggled over your long, dark night of trauma and felt like you have received nothing, Jesus will come and stand on the shore of that beach and he will tell you he is in control. He will actually assert his authority over your life again. He will actually invite you to to that place of your, your moment of identity and who you are. He will begin to speak new possibilities over you. Begin to take you from a place where you were to a place where you're going to be. And he knows that the scars that you carry from the trauma that you're in right now is going to be the very thing that's going to bring healing to the many that he wants to bring into your life. What happens to Peter also now becomes a part of our journey. That's true true post-traumatic growth, new possibilities for you. Some, Some of you watching this right now, there are new possibilities for you in the workplace that you have never allowed yourself to think about. Maybe you've never been willing to take the risk in a new adventure or a new investment or a new opportunity at work. And maybe some of you have wanted to change jobs for a long time and just haven't had the courage. And God stands over you in this time of trauma of pandemic. And he says, you want to know what's ahead for you? Open your heart to me again. I want to speak to you and give you courage and boldness for new possibilities. Some of you, those new possibilities are in relationships. Some of you, you, you've got fractured relationships in your life, maybe because of some things you've done or because of what others have done to you. And I feel like Jesus stands over you right now and welcomes, invites you into new possibilities, maybe to repair relationships that are broken, or it might be to launch you into some new relationships that you thought you would never once again ever receive. Actually, as I'm saying this right now, I feel like some of you feel like you cannot be loved. I feel like right now, some of you feel that you can't be loved. Maybe you've done something wrong. Maybe someone's done something to you. And it's left you in a place where you think, I can't be loved anymore. And I want you to know that there are relationships ahead of you that are filled with new love for you. New possibilities of relationships that you've not allowed yourself to even consider because you feel like you're not worthy to be loved by someone else again. I feel like that's really important for some people who are divorced watching this right now. You feel like you're on plan B. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying right now, there's new possibilities for you. New possibilities for you to be loved in a way that you perhaps never anticipated or expected. And perhaps for some of you, that new possibility is in your faith. Maybe this year is the year for you to take that step forward in faith. Maybe you know that God's been calling you into something and you've been holding back, thinking maybe you're not worthy or deserving of it or, or maybe just afraid of it. 
I pray that the Spirit of God would fall on you right now and fill you with something that would enable you to have the courage to step out. Be strong and courageous, I hear the Lord say over some of you right now in your relationship with Him. New possibilities are here. This is post-traumatic growth for us to be met on a beach, taken to a place where we can reframe our trauma, hear what our identity truly is, and be welcomed into a place where we thought we were no longer qualified. Jesus says, you're not just qualified, but you're exactly the person that I've chosen you to be. And that everything you've experienced and all that hardship and that suffering and that trauma has formed in you something that is going to be so important for what I'm about to release you in. You are now moving forward from green light to red because of the power and the anointing of the presence of Jesus. Peter's story, it's my story, it's your story, it's our story. I believe it's the story of 2021. And I believe right now the Spirit of God is here for you to move you forward. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this moment. Lord, I want to pray for everybody in this room. I want to pray for everybody who's watching online. I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us new possibilities, Lord. Some of us, like Peter, we've run backwards. That picture of being stopped at a red light resonates with us deeply. Would you hear the Holy Spirit today saying, this is not the place I've designed you to to be. I've not designed you to put roots down at the red light. Some of you have gone back to fishing. And I feel like the Lord is saying over you, drop the nets. It's time for you to move forward again. Don't let the enemy define who you are through your trauma, but allow the trauma to actually be the deposit of the things that the Holy Spirit is going to use most for His glory ahead. For those of you that feel like you're no longer lovable, the love of Christ speaks over you against the lie of the enemy to hold you back. For some of you who feel like you you can't move forward in a calling that God has for you, I come against the enemy's strategy to put you on the boat on the lake rather than on the shore moving forward. For some of you who feel like you're at an end point, I pray new possibilities in the name of Jesus over you. Father, we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do this because we try to be better people. We do this because of a work of your spirit. So spirit break out, spirit break out. Heaven come down. Lord, would your presence and your spirit fill me and change me, renew me and send me forward into the person that you've always created me to be. Not in my own effort, but in the grace of the power of the spirit of God. And we pray that over every person at the vine, over every person watching this, And we thank you that you release us into this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen.